Hello and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues from Kepler Trust Intelligence. I'm David Kimberley and I'm part of the investment trust team here at Kepler. Um, before I introduce this week's guest, your quick reminder that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It is strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Uh, and one other thing before I introduce our guest is this was recorded two or three weeks before it's going out. I don't think there's anything that's out of date, but if there is, then that is the reason. So enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. This week I'm joined by Russell Clark. Russell is a former hedge fund manager and uh, he has since started a very well-respected blog, a Substack which you can read at russell-clark.com. So the reason I invited Russell on is because about a month or so ago, or a bit less than a month, he published what I would say is probably fair to describe as a somewhat counterintuitive or contrarian uh, piece called In Praise of European Energy Policy, um, which basically made the claim that actually, contrary to what a lot of people are saying today, Europe is actually making some smart decisions uh, in energy. So... Russell, thanks for joining me. I wonder if we could start with I think I think the best way to do this is maybe we do a like f- dumbed down t- ten year old uh, version for me so that we can sort of simplify things and then maybe go a bit deeper into some of the points you made in in that piece. So maybe to start with, we can you can just give like a brief brief overview of what the argument you made in that piece was. Yeah, sure. Look, you know, you know, right now because of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, energy prices have gone very high. And you know, the general line of criticism that you get from people uh, is that you know Europe should have reduced its reliance on Russian energy a long time ago. It should have either developed its own uh, shale gas resources ages ago or you know, kept all of its nuclear, nuclear power plants online or even grown its nuclear power plant supply so uh, to, to reduce its reliance on Russian energy. Uh, and because it hasn't done that, we're now suffering uh, and the regulators and the politicians are idiots. And, you know, you know the, this is basically the view you get. And the probably the follow-on to that, uh, which I've started to write, uh, partly because um, one of the things that probably... One of my bad habits is I like triggering people sometimes. And... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, uh, so like I sometimes see what people really committed to and if it doesn't make sense, I sort of like to sort of, you know, just sort of wind them up a little bit. Uh, And so because of the energy crisis in Europe at the moment, a lot of people are very excited by nuclear energy again. Uh, And to be honest with you, I I invested in nuclear energy way back in the day. Um, If you're looking for a nuclear stock, I'll give it to you. I wouldn't buy it today, but anyway. But, you know, I made fortunes in a, uh, a, a Korean nuclear energy stock back in the sort of last commodity boom from 05, 06, uh, Doosan Heavy. Uh, this is a great company. It refurbishes nuclear power plants to make them reusable for the next 34 years. Uh, and the stock you know, made me a lot of money through 07 and then fell 99%, 95% subsequently. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've looked at the nuclear industry and I understand the buy arguments. 
But what I'm trying to say is the world is very different from 06, 07. And that's where I was coming from. Um, so that's sort of the angle I'm coming from there. I could talk about it in more detail if you like, David, or I can take a question or whatever you'd like me to. Yeah. I think I think the main crux of your argument from reading it, and I, and perhaps if, if you are listening to this and you haven't read it, I would recommend going going to Russell's um, Substack and reading the article, and there's a video explainer that he does alongside that. But I think one of the arguments you made was basically that um, renewables and nuclear energy both cause negative, it causes like a negative pricing in part because they basically can't be switched off. Is that is that an, a fair description? And uh, I mean, I've given a sort of dumbed down version of that. But could you could you talk about that dynamic a bit? Because I think it's Absolutely. quite important to to your argument. So in the last nuclear boom, you know, so the sort of two thousand through the two thousand six two thousand seven. In that era, the amount of renewable energy in the world was actually very small. It's only really grown over, you know, subsequently, subsequent to that. Um, and so as, nu- as renewable energy has become a bigger part of the energy mix, we've been able to learn about how it interacts with the grid and how it generates electricity and what it does for financials. So if we go back to the pre-renewable uh, energy era, when uh, oil and gas prices got very low, let's say like in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, we had a number of nuclear bankruptcies because the problem with nuclear energy is it has very, very large upfront costs, but then a constant supply of energy. You know, you can't really turn off nuclear energy. If you understand how nuclear energy works, you know, once you've started to produce it, it just goes on and on. So nuclear energy is great for base, base loads, but you can't turn it off. So if, if you suddenly have very, very huge oversupply of energy markets, your nuclear power plant will continue to push energy into the market, even at very low to negative prices. And so what you've found with negative with nuclear energy, even though it feels like it should be uh, a very lucrative business, it tends to require huge government subsidies and almost always goes bankrupt in every down cycle. Um, the other thing that, you know, uh, particularly for the more sort of greeny type uh, thinkers is that we haven't really got a very reliable way of um, uh, of disposing of, of nuclear waste. Um, and so the thing about nuclear energy, uh, you may be too young for this, David. I can't tell how old you are via this, uh, via this thing. <laughs> did you, did you, you probably have seen Back to the Future. I have seen Back to the Future, although I was... Okay. Uh... Yeah, not, not, not when it came out. I'll no, way. well, I did. <laughs> that way, but, so that came out in 1985. And if you remember, at the end of that movie, Doc Brown comes back from the future, which is 2015, so that's seven years ago, right? Comes yeah. back from the future, and he has a nuclear fusion system installed in the back of the DeLorean. And it's basically, he's taken a household appliance from the future, which is using fusion, and stuck on the back. Uh, and that was the promise, and that was the dream of nuclear in the early 80s. And that's when we saw huge amounts of uh, nuclear power being added globally. Now, what I'm trying to say is, what I would say is, what has happened since then, is I think most people would find the idea of having a nuclear, even a miniature nuclear power plant in their home as probably something that seems a little bit silly to dangerous. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying here, right? And that is, I think, the real... Yeah, it's like, okay, people thought we'd be able to develop nuclear energy into a super safe, reliable energy source. It hasn't really turned to a super safe uh, energy source. And things like Fukushima and, you know, the 
even now in Ukraine, where the nuclear power plant is sometimes coming under bombardment, has highlighted the issues with, with nuclear. Yeah. And so what I was trying to say is, you know, to criticize European governments for not adding nuclear power, right, despite all of these problems, I think is very, 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 very short-sighted and really doesn't understand the problems that nuclear power has. That, and that is before we even start talking about renewable energy. Now, what's happened in Europe is that Germany has been the leader in new renewable energy. They offered very big subsidies, both through feed-in tariffs and direct-to-households to put on solar, and also they built a lot of wind, wind farms. And what we discovered, and what Germany discovered a few years ago, is that the renewable energy tends to all produce energy at the same time. Uh, sometimes it's sunny and windy, windy at the same time, but yes, you, know, but you tend to get the power generated at the same time. So what started to happen in Germany a few years ago was they started to get negative electricity prices in Germany. That is, there was too much power being generated relative to demand, and the power couldn't easily be switched off, so prices were going negative. So if I was a policymaker seeing that, I'd be going, okay, I don't think renewable energy is the future. It's definitely going to be a big part of future energy demand. That is unescapable. The problem now is that that also means from time to time we're going to have negative pricing, right? So if yeah. we build a nuclear power plant, it is not going to be profitable. We are going to have to carry that cost forever. We will have to build it. Private sector will not build it because there's no profits in it. It's a complete cost to us. And to be brutally honest, voters don't want it. Voters don't want nuclear power. Yeah. So this idea that European energy policy was misguided or wrong for me is completely clueless, yeah. right? And you could also, I and you know, if I wanted to be even more difficult and pushing on people's trigger buttons, the idea that we should, you know, assume Russia was going to cut off the energy, it was a very would be a bold assumption. You could have made the assumption that. Uh, Putin was going to leave power. Uh, it could have been, you know, could have had a coup. And even today, right, it's possible that we may be in the beginnings of a, a regime change in Iran, who then becomes super democratic, and we start importing all the energy from there. Uh, and so, you yeah. know, the idea that we should make huge long-term financial plans and commitments on the idea of what politics looks like today, uh, to me, seems very short-sighted. And so that was where I was coming from. Uh, and and I, I, I chose a provocative title, praising European energy policy. And it did provoke, I must say, provoked a lot of people. Uh, it did. Um, and I get it. I mean, because it, it, perhaps it uh, was not right to talk about when people are still paying a lot for energy, particularly in uh, countries that are much closer to Russia. But I think I was trying to highlight a point in that the thinking that, and the criticism that was coming out, I think, was unjustified. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lot of hindsight bias, right? So it's very easy to say that you should have done X once something has already happened. But what you're doing seems to me sort of explaining the logic that would have existed without knowing that Russia was going to uh, invade Ukraine and completely kill the, the, the energy market. But um, I mean, I have a couple of couple of follow, follow up points on what you've said. So one of those is, so when you say nuclear and renewables both cause negative price spiking, Essentially, the, from the government's point of view, you then have this situation where you have so you can have have renewables 
And then are you basically saying that nuclear would exacerbate the problem that already exists with renewables? So it will just make it worse. And then they will have to keep, because of that, it's they're going to have to keep subsidizing nuclear power. Or have I misunderstood you? So what I'm saying is that, you know, the, when you build a nuclear power plant, it's actually very simple to model yep. in many ways. So you've got a big upfront cost, which tends to always blow out to the upside because there's loads of lawsuits and the cost of dealing with radioactive material is very uncertain. Um, so you have a big upfront cost. But once it's built, once it's built, it will generate the same amount of energy day in, day out, regardless of what yep. happens. So then you know, when you're financially modeling it, you're going to go, okay, what do I get paid for this electricity? And if the price is high enough, you can offset all those costs that you've come up front. Now, in a market where yeah. a 3D deregulated market where the energy price can move up and down, which is the markets that we have today, right? You have to look at it and go, okay, well, what's, what am I going to get? Um, and you know, for a planner, you know, they go, okay, Nuclear energy is carbon-free and it's reliable, but there's huge costs. Um, you know, they then go and look at, you don't want to do coal, so the coal's going to come off, but you look at natural gas, which produces less. You look at what they, you know, what they can do. Now, the big benefit natural gas or all these fossils have, fossil fuels have, is you can turn off the power generators and the energy is stored naturally in the original material, so either coal oil, natural gas, natural gas would be hard to store, but it's stored. Nuclear energy, renewable energy can't be stored. That's a big problem. They still haven't quite developed the battery and storage technology to store it. So those energy, those sources yeah. will keep producing. So as we build more renewable energy, which I think is going to be the case, we're going to have to deal with bigger and bigger fluctuations in the price of energy. Uh, and when it goes low and if it stays low, that causes financial distress at the nuclear level. And so from a political point yeah. of view, I completely understand why, political and financial, why most European governments have emphasized renewable uh, over nuclear. Mm -hmm. um, there are other bigger issues this, involved with that, but yeah. yes. But this, So this is one of the things I want to understand, which is some of the dynamics you described there, wouldn't they also apply to renewables, right? So with renewables, you ha it's very difficult to turn them off as far as I understand. Yep. You, you can't really do that. It's unpredictable. Um, you don't really have, you don't have storage. And then um, there's also, so another thing that I think you mentioned was just when you, with nuclear power, you have to dispose of, of the waste. But the same is, I think, also true of stuff like solar or wind farms or whatever it might be where you have the loads of components and stuff that you have to get rid of in some way. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, again, that you can they can really be recycled or anything like that. So I suppose my point is that uh, on a practical level, leaving aside, you know, the fact that people might find them more appealing uh, compared to compared to nuclear, uh, it seems like a lot of the, those problems also exist with renewables, as in the ones you've described nuclear is having. No, it's an absolutely fair point. Uh, but I would say the biggest thing about it, so um, is you know I drive around. I drive around the UK a lot. Uh, so my oldest son does go karting. So I drive all around the country uh, for his go karting. And the thing is, you know, I do occasionally drive past a nuclear power plant, mainly Hinkley. Uh, but I drive past loads more uh, wind turbines and solar panels. 
because the reality is people are much more comfortable and much more relaxed about having a solar panel or a wind turbine in their backyard than they are with having a nuclear power plant in their backyard. And, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, governments don't act. We don't, you know, we live in, you know, free countries where voters get to vote, right? And voters have said they prefer renewable energy to nuclear. And, you know, and that's, and that's a consistent vote, right? You know, you can see it everywhere, particularly in Europe. You know, the Greens tend to dominate uh, or not have done very well, very, very, very well in politics, particularly in Germany. Uh, And, you know, they have, you know, they have been consistent in their, you know, negativity on nuclear energy. And so, you know, unless you are also proposing that we move into some sort of dictatorship where uh, the brains trust (laughs) a government just imposes their will, uh, regardless of what voters think, you know, the idea that we should all go out and just build nuclear power plants tomorrow, regardless of what people think, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's the thing is like, if you said to me, you know, uh, the energy crisis is going to be ongoing, we're going to have to start building, can we build a nuclear power plant here? I'd be like, uh, I don't know about that. But if they said like, you know, wind turbine, they'll be like, okay, look, needs must, I can live with that. And that is reality. Um, and I think it's very common in financial markets for sometimes, uh, people to get a bit, you know, to forget that, you know, actually politics is more important than economics in many cases. You know, you have to understand the politics of what's mm. happening, you know, to, you know, more than the economics. Yeah. So I, I actually agree with you. And I think that maybe some people who are, who left you uh, hate comments <laughs> didn't seem to really get that point. But I suppose on the, on the hate comment side, uh, you know, to give them their due, uh, they, I think one of the one of the points that perhaps people were making was even if what you're saying is correct, so as in the policies and just the general zeitgeist seems to be leading us towards more renewables, that one it, that it, the problems that exist in nuclear also exist there, right? So it's actually not a particularly good solution for our energy problems, and so as a consequence, arguably isn't particularly good policy, right? Well, you know, it's not ideal, of course, but then, you know, you got like, it's in the real world, nothing really is normally. It's normally a trade-off between, yeah. you know, opposing two bad ideas. Um, you know, and I think, but the I think the reality is, you know, if you look at the amount of renewable energy that's been added in the last 10 years, it's absolutely phenomenal. And what I'm saying is, you know, some of the issues that have come to the fore of negative pricing so one of the things I was trying to say in the note as well is that if you looked at the Germany in particular had stopped adding renewable energy over the last three, four years because negative pricing was starting to cause financial distress within their electricity industry and pushing up prices. Uh, and yep. and actually natural gas and natural gas and coal and these other energy sources became very, very cheap. So it was becoming financially dis- difficult to justify further investment into renewable energy, right? Because the finances were so tilted towards fossils. Now, one of the things I was trying to say in the note is that actually Russia has done the European energy policymaker a huge favor because now the financials of adding more renewable make total sense. And if you go and look at all the big utilities in Europe, RWE, Enil, all these guys, they've all announced huge expansions in their renewable energy generation plans. So in that way, 
what I was trying to really say with this, this note is that if we are, if Russia has incentivized a huge expansion in renewable energy, which I think it has, and which is going to happen, yeah. the logical upshot of that is we, at some point, maybe in the next one to two years, we will have deeply negative baseload prices in Europe again. So they're all-time highs at the moment. They've really dropped a long way. But what will yeah. happen is in like a low demand period, we'll probably have negative prices, which doesn't mean the next day or next week they suddenly go all the way up again. Um, so what I'm saying is the if we've chosen renewable energy, which I think we have as an electing place, what that means is with, it doesn't mean we're all going to have free energy. So actually, it's going to be the opposite of that. Energy will be more expensive because the underlying generation is going to be more volatile. And until we solve battery technology and until we've done the investment to have a distributed grid, we have to live with higher energy prices. But I think it, it, you're going to get periods when baseload prices, wholesale prices will be negative. Um, and that's just a, 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 the energy policymakers acting rationally. Uh, and that is what I was yeah. trying to that's really what I was trying to get across. Um, like I think, to be really honest, I think people are very excited about nuclear again. And I'm pretty sure yeah. you're going to get very disappointed from long-term nuclear investments from here. Uh, yeah. It might work out, but I doubt it. They've got a history of disappointing. Yeah. I mean, so another thing that you touched on just then was there seems to be a kind of assumption that storage for renewables will just happen right so as in because because we need storage therefore storage can happen but it seems possible to me that it just won't happen as do you think that's do you think that's a plausible outcome or do you think do you see signs that we could actually get to a point where we have the capacity to store energy more efficiently oh, I just, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the market so if it... I, I i think it will i mean the problem you've got at the moment is less storage although that, that's still being worked on it's just that um so if you, you know, if, you were, if you're a futurist, right, if you're thinking long-term, let's say everyone moves to electric vehicles, okay? Um, and, you know, so electric vehicles already have batteries in them, right? They already have storage built into them. But the thing is the network is set up really for transporting electricity one way, right? So a distributed grid and a smart grid would actually allow you to pay, put electricity back into the system. Um, and oh, yeah. so if you see where I'm going with that is like, okay, so if we have all these EVs plugged in, taking electricity out of the system now, you know, how far, if we can get a grid that can actually put electricity back in, you know, we have all these portable batteries running around the streets that could be turned into some sort of, that's, I mean, that, I think that probably that's not answer, but you can see where I'm going yeah. with that logic. If we suddenly all, yeah. I mean, in the UK, for example, you know, if we all suddenly start to generate our own electricity through solar panels and wind, and we could somehow store excess generation to pay back into the system, then you already begin to have a sort of storage system that, that could work. Um, you know, but it takes huge investment. That's the thing. And when you need huge investment, you need higher prices. So even though I think, you know, we may see negative or low base prices uh, for wholesale markets, the prices that consumers pay for electricity will remain high. Uh, and I think it's, okay. I think it's actually, and uh, uh, people don't like that. Uh, hopefully they get the technology where we can get the prices down. Um, but, you know, I don't, 
I really don't think European energy policy has been as misguided as people like to make out. Um, yeah. A lot of the so angry... So a lot of the angry emails I get no, no, go uh, are basically saying, more or less, they go along the lines of this, Russell, you're an idiot. Don't you realize how much more efficient nuclear energy is? Renewable energy only generates this much power versus the investment versus nuclear. And I go, no, I totally understand that. And so does the regulator, because the regulator is going to be some you know, brain box PhD person as well. But they don't do it. And have you ever asked yourself the question why they don't do nuclear, despite your obvious, you know, the the, the 100% fundamental truth of what you're saying? I totally get it. Everyone gets it, but it doesn't happen. And yet, have you ever asked yourself why it doesn't happen? And then you explain some of the politics. And as soon as you start saying, oh, no, you have to think about other people's opinions and how voters might react, they... They don't want to talk anymore because they much prefer to stay looking at a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and the spreadsheet says this, and I'm saying, yeah, but the voters say this. And at the end of the day, politicians do what voters tell them. And if they don't, they lose power. Yeah. And that's that's what they're trying to avoid. Yeah. I think one other point I guess we could use maybe to push back against what you're saying is... Um, from from my understanding, if you look at a lot of the renewable renewables market, it seems to be a huge well a huge proportion of it is controlled by China, and then you have a very a small number of of countries which produce the commodities. Like I'm thinking of lithium specifically uh, that are needed to power it. So if we've if we've spent the last I don't know three decades or it's much longer than three decades, but two decades of Putin relying on one autocratic country for for our energy supply is there any risk that we're just going to end up shifting to um say being basically subject to the same sort of process but with with china in control or is do do you think we could i don't know onshore production or something like that yeah i think you know it's i think again a little bit so you know when when we're relying on russian natural gas flow you know we need that gas to flow every day from russia to europe as soon as you turn it off you don't get any more uh, when you build a wind turbine, uh, once it's built, you know, it's producing that electricity domestically. Now, you could argue that we might need the spare parts or repairs, and we, we are going to source those all from China, and that could that could put it us, us at risk of, you know, not being able to uh, rely on renewable energy. But it's a very different type of calculation. They can't, China, you know, if they stop sending exports overseas tomorrow, yeah, we still would be able to generate renewable electricity for a while, good two to three years. It's just, and the reason we use China is that we, for the supplies, is that's been a free market policy of choosing, of buying from the cheapest supplier, you know, regardless of the politics. Now, those days are over, right? Those days are well over. Uh, And so, you know, what it does imply is that the cost of everything goes up, which is why... You know, inflation is going to be higher than expected. And I think the problem people really need to face up is that bond yields are, are going to keep going up, which that's where it's, that's the problem that people have. But that's the politics that we live in, uh, the political world we live in, uh, of a higher inflation and no longer a sort of free trade market. That's another bigger, very different discussion. Um, but the idea of renewable energy is it's produced domestically, and so it doesn't need to travel any distance. 
that makes sense. Um, I mean, what you're sort of saying would be like looking at North Sea oil and saying, oh, we bought all the jack-up rigs from, you know, China. You know, could they stop sending parts yeah. of jack-up rigs? You know, yeah, they could, but we're still going to get to have the oil and we'll still be able to produce it, you know, and we'll just have to find a workaround. But it's, it's a very different type of uh, problem. Great. Okay. Well, that was all very interesting. I think it's probably a good point for us to stop. So, Russell, thanks very much for, for joining us. And um, hopefully we can have you back on again to uh, be controversial about, about some other topic. Oh, my pleasure. You've been listening to Trust Issues by Kepler Trust Intelligence. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember to visit our website at trustintelligence.co.uk to keep up with all the latest research on investment trusts.